As most of you are aware, we began a new series of studies on Sunday mornings a couple of weeks ago entitled Pumpkins, Parables and Thanksgiving, which takes us through towards Thanksgiving week, of course. And today we're coming to the parable of the sower. And so if you have your Bible with you this morning, would you turn with me, please, to Mark chapter 4, as we read this well-known parable, the parable of the sower. And it takes 20 verses in chapter 4 of Mark, and we begin at verse 1. You'll find it on page 1557 of Mark chapter 4. And just a quick aside for those of you watching at home on Sunday morning, and if you're joining us for the first time, when we pause here and worship for prayer or sing, please uh, join in at home, whether it be prayer or the words on your screen as you join us in worship, and of course, as we open up scriptures and study them together. So Mark chapter 4, beginning at verse 1. Again, Jesus began to teach by the lake. The crowd that gathered around him was so large that he got into a boat and sat in it out on the lake, while all the people were along the shore at the water's edge. He taught them many things by parables, and in his teaching said, Listen, a farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path, and the birds came and ate it up. Some fell on rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched and they withered because they had no root. Other seed fell among thorns which grew up and choked the plants so that they did not bear grain. Still other seed fell on good soil. It came up grew and produced a crop, multiplying thirty, sixty, or even one hundred times. Then Jesus said, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. When he was alone, the twelve and the others around him asked him about the parables, and he told them, The secret of the kingdom of God has been given to you. But to those on the outside, everything is said in parables, so that they may be ever seeing, but never perceiving, and ever hearing, but never understanding. Otherwise, they might turn and be forgiven. Then Jesus said to them, Don't you understand this parable? How then will you understand any parable? The farmer sows the word, Some people are like seed along the path where the word is sown. As soon as they hear it, Satan comes and takes away the word that was sown in them. Others, like seed, sown on rocky places, hear the word and at once receive it with joy. But since they have no root, they last only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. Still others, like seeds sown among thorns, hear the word, but the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth and the desire for other things come in and choke the word, making it unfruitful. Others, like seeds sown on good soil, hear the word, accept it, and produce a crop thirty, sixty, or even a hundred times what was sown. Amen, and we trust that God will bless to us this reading of his word. 
This morning, as you know, we are coming to Mark's Gospel to explore together the parable of the sower. It's a well-known parable, one most of us, I think, have been familiar with since childhood. But whenever we come to a new passage of Scripture, it's always helpful to look at that passage in its context. And as we're coming to Mark's Gospel this morning, let me give you a very brief introduction to Mark. Donald English, a very fine New Testament scholar, summarized Mark's Gospel, I think, immensely helpfully when he wrote these words. He writes, Mark portrays Christ as an active, energetic, swiftly moving, warring, conquering king, a victor over the destructive forces of nature, demons, and death. And that's exactly what Mark does. And in fact, if you still have your finger in chapter 4, flick back a couple of pages to Mark chapter 1. And even as you give a broad look over Mark chapter 1, you find chapter 1 verse 1 begins with John the Baptist preparing the way. Then at verse 8, you have the baptism and temptation of Jesus. Then at verse 14, you have the calling of the first disciples. Then verse 21, Jesus drives out an evil spirit. Verse 29, Jesus heals many. And in 35, Jesus prays in a solitary place. And then in verse 40, a man with leprosy. Matthew and Luke take four chapters to tell you what Mark has squeezed into those first six or seven events. And Mark does that throughout his gospel. In fact, chapter one is a microcosm of all that his gospel contains. Mark's favorite words, and you may well know this, are, and then, and immediately. And so when Donald English says Mark portrays Christ as an active, energetic, swiftly moving, warring, conquering king, a victor over the destructive forces of nature, demons and death, he gets it absolutely right. And he moves us quickly from one event to another, to another, to another. If you were writing a review of Mark's gospel for the New York Times or a literary column in local newspaper at the weekend, you might say something like, it is unputdownable. He moves you so quickly from one amazing event to another. But, when you get to chapter 4, Mark slows everything down. He puts the brakes on. It's almost as if he's saying, now I want you to slow down, I want you to take a breath, and I want you to understand the significance of what you're about to hear. Because in chapter 4, he begins, as you know, with the parable of the sower. And then he highlights a lamp on a stand. Then the parable of the growing seed. And then the parable of the mustard seed. 
And so Mark slows everything down, and in fact, as you notice the opening verse, notice what he says, again Jesus began to teach by the lake. And the crowd that had gathered was so large that he got into a boat and sat it out in the lake while all the people were along the water's edge. And he taught them many things by parables, using parables, parabolic language. He then says, listen. Why does he begin with the word, listen? Because Mark is drawing attention as he introduces us to the parables of Jesus. He's reminding us that it's helpful to slow down when coming to a parable. It's helpful to take a deep breath. It's helpful to listen and pause and engage with everything that's being said. And I've mentioned over the last few weeks that often when Jesus is teaching a parable, there's two or three different movements happening all at the same time. And in this parable of the sower, there are multiple movements all happening at the same time. And why does Jesus say to the crowd, listen? Because remember, Mark is the gospel writer that portrays Christ as active, swiftly moving, energetic, warring king. And in the first three chapters, you find exorcism. You find teaching. You find miracles. You find large crowds gathering to listen to Jesus. And so Mark is putting the brakes on and saying... We understand you've come with a sense of anticipation. We understand you're excited to listen to Jesus. We understand that his gospel has impacted and transformed lives. But we want you to listen. Slow down. Back in August, and I may have told you this at the time, so please forgive me, my conversations with eight and nine-year-olds and their parents were along these lines. And speaking to wee ones, I would say to them, are you enjoying being back at school after the summer break? And they would smile and nod. And I would say, are you in a new class and making new friends? And they would smile and nod. And I would say, do you have a new teacher? And most of those little faces would light up. And inevitably the parent would say, yes, and he's really enjoying his new teacher. And I think most of us enjoy teachers who encourage us. Teachers who teach with a sense of enthusiasm. Teachers who plant within us a thirst for learning, a desire for knowledge, to grow in our understanding. And those are the, if you'll forgive me, those are the cool teachers, the teachers whose names we remember. And if you had a teacher like that, I imagine you still remember that teacher's name. And that teacher had a huge impact on your life. Cool teachers are the ones we remember because we like not only their teaching, we like everything about them. I'm pretty certain I did tell you this, so please forgive me if it's redundant. And recently I heard of a teacher saying, what do you call a hen that counts eggs? Answer, mathematician. That's a pretty cool teacher, don't you think? Whom every child in the class would go home and tell that again and again to their parents and their grandparents. They would go home with a big smile. That's a cool teacher. 
And what Jesus is about to teach will in fact capture the imagination of his listeners. They will be riveted to the spot by the parable of the sower. Because they know that in his teaching, the gospel has such power that it touches, impacts, influences, and transforms lives. In Galilee, where Jesus is teaching, the word has got out. There is gossip and rumor and speculation out there as to who he is, what he has achieved, lives that have been transformed. Because when he teaches, he teaches about real life issues. Issues that individuals wrestle with. He talks about intimacy with the living God. He talks about how to know Him and walk with Him each day. He talks about having a life transformed, sins forgiven, a fresh start, moving on from the past. And He was so well received, in Mark chapter 1 verse 22, we read these words, the people were amazed at His teaching because He taught them as one who had authority, not as teachers of the law. Jesus wasn't dealing with some abstract, esoteric subject. He was dealing with real life issues. And that's exactly what we see in the parable of the sower. And he begins, listen. Husbands, ever been there? Where your wife says to you, are you listening? And you're busy on your phone. Then she says, we need to talk. And the phone immediately is put down and you pay attention and you pay attention because what you know is coming is serious. All of that is wrapped up in this word. And in fact, we discover that Mark uses the word teaching, taught, teach three times in those first two verses. In other words, he's saying Jesus was getting their attention, close attention. They were listening. And so Mark sets the scene. And he paints a picture that everyone would be familiar with. Notice how he begins. Verse 2. He taught them many things by parables, and in teaching them he said, Listen, a farmer went out to sow his seed. And as he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path, and the birds came and ate it up, and some fell on rocky places where it did not have much soil. And it sprang up quickly, because the soil was shallow, and the sun came up, and the plants were scorched, and they withered because they had no roots. Now that's an image. The people living close to the Sea of Galilee would get. That's a familiar image. If you're familiar with the Sea of Galilee at all or the geography of ancient Israel, you will know that the Sea of Galilee was 60 miles north of Jerusalem. Sea of Galilee was 6 miles wide, 13 miles long. It was a fishing community, but surrounded by agriculture and still is today. If you go to northern Israel today, you will see it exactly like that. 
And farming is everywhere. And they understood what a farmer does when he goes out and scatters seed. It will inevitably land in different kinds of soil. That's the picture Jesus was painting. And you can envisage everyone listening that morning almost leaning in to see where he's going with this story. Then he begins to break the story down. Notice how he does it. A farmer went out to sow his seed, and as he was scattering, some fell along the path, and the birds came and ate it up. When he describes the path, what is he talking about? He's talking about the path between fertile soil, or the path at the edge of the field, the place where the farmer would walk to move between the field, the place where the animals would be led as they're moving from one field to another And it was thick, compact dirt. Not quite soil, almost dirt. And that's a tough place to try and sow any seed. And, as you can imagine, there was no depth to the soil. It hadn't been cultivated, it hadn't been turned over, hadn't been prepared. And so it lay on the surface. And, as Jesus says, the birds came, took the seed, and it was gone. And then the next picture he paints, verse 5, some fell in rocky places where it did not have much soil and it sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. And in the mind of Jesus' listeners, they would know, coming from a farming community, that rocky soil consists of stones and boulders and rocks living probably three to four inches under the soil. The farmer wouldn't know they're there until certainly in the time of Christ when the plough would of course be a hand plough pulled by an animal until they clashed with the rock and then they would pull it out, put it to one side and continue working the land. Now, growing up in Scotland, I was reasonably familiar with agricultural practices. And generation after generation after generation, when they came across a stone, would put it to one side. And eventually, once they had enough stones, they would build a wall to protect their land and keep their livestock in a given area. And I imagine similarly in ancient Israel. But the soil was only three or four inches deep. And it wouldn't penetrate much. It would initially look good. Plant would come up. Sun would come out. And then, of course, the heat of the day would wither the plant. And it would be gone and eventually blow away. And then there's a third scenario. And notice what happens when Jesus takes them deeper. When we get to verse 7. Other seed fell among thorns that grew up and choked the plants, so they did not bear grain. And you can imagine that happening quite easily. Here were the thorns smothering and suffocating and strangling the life out of any seed that would grow in their midst because they were taking all of the nutrients out of the soil to grow the thorn. And that's exactly what happens suffocated, strangling, it was going nowhere. And then finally, verse 8, still other seed fell on good soil, came up, grew and produced a crop, 
multiplying 30, 60, or even 100 times. And then Jesus said, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Now what a strange way to end a parable. If you understand this, that's great. If you don't, that's okay too. And then when Jesus gets alone with the apostles, notice what happens, verse 13. And then Jesus said to them, Don't you understand this parable? How then will you understand any parable? The farmer sows the word. Some people are like seed along the path where the word is sown. And as soon as they hear it, Satan comes and takes the word that was sown in them. And like seed sown in rocky places, others hear the word that once it was received with joy. But it has no root and lasts only a short time. And when trouble or persecution comes... Because of the word, they quickly fall away. And then verse 18, still others, like seed sown among thorns, they hear the word. But the worries of this life, the deceitfulness of the wealth, and the desires for other things come in and choke the word, making it unfruitful. Sometimes when we read parables, it's hard to grasp exactly what was going on. But not in this parable. Jesus explains it. And he explains it clearly. And what Jesus is saying to the apostles is quite simply this. The soil is a reflection of the condition of the heart. And for some, the soil is hard and compact, unyielding, unmoving, rigid, harsh, no response. Secondly, there's soil that almost acts in an impulsive manner. Seed is planted. Soil is shallow. It's well received. Received graciously, joyfully. But when pressures and difficulties of our life come our way, well, that's a little different. Oh, happy to receive it. Happy to have it. But the stones and the rock under the soil represent the difficulties and challenges of life. They restrict the growth. There are no roots. Doesn't go deep. And eventually just withers. And then Jesus focuses on the thorns. Notice what he says. Like the seed sown among the thorns, they hear the word, but the worries of this life, the deceitfulness of wealth, the desire for other things, come in and choke the word, making it unfruitful. And what is he highlighting there? There he's highlighting the allurements, the attractions of our lives, the things that preoccupy our lives. In other words, he's saying it is one thing to hear the word of God. It is one thing to receive it and listen to it and welcome it. But there are times in our lives when we get overly busy. 
There are times when we live in a digital playground where we spend more time on our cell phones than we do in his presence in prayer. We live busy, demanding lives, raising children, developing a career. Not a thing wrong with any of that. But it's when it gets out of kilter, it becomes imbalanced. And we start focusing on the other things. Then our desire for prayer moves off to one side. We begin to minimize and marginalize our faith. Our moral, spiritual standards become little more than convenience rather than commitment. We develop a mindset that we begin to give in to, well, it's no big deal, quite honestly. And when it comes to intimacy and relationship with the Father, when it comes to cultural accommodation, to the standards of our culture and our society, when it comes to transparency and character and honesty and integrity, slowly but surely they begin to be minimized. That's the point Jesus is making. And the thorns grow up in the midst of busy, active lives and begin to smother and choke the seed of God's word in our life. Now that may well be your single biggest challenge this morning in this parable. And you may be saying, Richard, actually, (sighs) that's a little closer than I think. That is making me seriously uncomfortable. Because that may well be where you are. But you might also be saying, now Richard, hold on. I understand the warning. I think I've got it. And you're right. That's an area I need to pay attention to. But the parable itself finishes in a more positive, optimistic manner, doesn't it? It finishes with encouragement for the seed that did go into the soil, that did take root. The seed that began to grow. The seed that began to flourish and develop. And it produced a harvest of 30 and 60 and 100. Richard, how did that happen? What was the secret that made that happen? Well, Mark tells us towards the end of his teaching on the parables. Look over the page at verse 30. And again he said, what shall we say the kingdom of God is like? Or what parable shall we use to describe it? And here it comes, verse 31. It is like a mustard seed, which is the smallest seed you plant in the ground. Yet when planted, it grows and becomes the largest of all garden plants. Do you see that? It is this smallest seed that produces the largest growth. And if in recent weeks you have felt that you have been a little distant from the things of God, that convenience over commitment has in many ways summarized where you have been recently, let me encourage you this morning. Let me get alongside you and remind you how the Word of God equips us for growth. It speaks to the heart. It speaks to the soul. 
And let me give you a challenge. Over the next two weeks, as we move towards Thanksgiving, my prayer for each of us, myself included, is this, that life will begin to slow down a little. That during Thanksgiving week, we will get some time to reflect, to consider, enter his presence. And if you're anything like me, over the next couple of weeks, I will be saying, Father, help me intentionally to cultivate time with you. Help me to carve out on my calendar time in your presence. Help me to take the seed of God's word, plant it deep within. Let me water it with prayer and faith. And may that smallest of seeds be a turning point as we move towards Thanksgiving and then into Advent and then towards Christmas and all of the joy and the celebration that's there. And don't be surprised. Don't be surprised. If when you take that time and intentionally spend it with him, you discover that your faith grows 30 and 60 and 90 fold. And let me even dare say this, and I think some of you are wanting and longing me for to say it, so here it comes. When faith grows 30, 60, 100 fold. Even, even a math of my chicken can see that. Agreed? That's what happens when God begins to work in the heart and mind and soul. When we begin to listen to Him. When we water that seed down deep inside. Then the growth comes. We cannot simply go on from one thing to another to another. And expect a relationship with Him to grow. And that's why Jesus took the time to spend it with the apostles, to outline for them and said, listen, pay attention. Don't dismiss this. Because when you do, your faith grows, develops 30, 60, 100 fold. May that be our experience over these next few weeks as we come back again and again. Remind ourselves of this parable. Let's pray together. Father, thank you. Thank you that day by day, even the smallest amount of faith allows us to grow and develop a relationship with you. Father, please forgive us when the worries and cares, anxieties, challenges of this life Seek to smother and squelch our relationship with you. Help us please not to have our focus on the circumstances and challenges we face, but to focus on your response in grace. Father, bless us please as we move towards thanksgiving. Bring us back to Mark chapter 4 again and again, that we might learn again of you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Peace and transforming presence of God the Holy Spirit rest and remain upon each one of us, both now and always. Amen.